We're in Revelation chapter 3. We've been considering these seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus Christ, the head of the church, is addressing through the Apostle John. And we have been considering the church of Philadelphia. And as I said at some point tonight, Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love. Philio is brotherly love. And here is a small church. She hasn't got the great and the good as members, not people who are influential in society. She hasn't got great resources, and as a result, she is relatively poor. Yet of all the churches that Jesus addresses, this is the one that receives more praise than any other. There are bigger churches, certainly churches with vaster resources and more uh, powerful people in them, but they do not receive the praise that Philadelphia does. And it's this uh, lovely uh, description of the church as the place of brotherly love. And Jesus Christ delights in a church where this is the dominant uh, emphasis. Uh, as uh, Paul said to the church at Corinth, without love, we are nothing. No matter how great our gifts may be, without love to Christ and love to one another, in his sight, we are nothing. Now, all I want to do tonight is finish looking at this letter, and then, God willing, we'll move on next Sunday to Laodicea. So there are two promises in conclusion that Jesus gives to this small, struggling church, but a church that is a loving church. And I want us to consider these two promises tonight, and I trust that they will be precious promises to us as we seek to be more and more like Philadelphia. Now, the first promise is the promise of being kept. Verse 10, verse 7. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you in the hour of trial. The hour of trial, Jesus is promising that he, the sovereign protector, as we've been singing, will guard this church in the hour of trial. Now, what does he mean by the hour of trial? Reams and reams have been written about the meaning or the possible meaning of the hour of trial. What can it mean? Some think that it refers to the persecution that is about to come. The Romans are about to unleash a wave of persecution and it's going to cause a lot of martyrdoms. Now, of course, Jesus does keep his people uh, when persecution uh, comes. Uh, if you look at the history of the church, there have been wave after wave of persecution. I know the uh, brethren sitting up there uh, from China. The Chinese church uh, has endured persecution in more recent years. Uh, but uh, here in Britain, during the Protestant Reformation, uh, there was persecution. And Jesus Christ 
is as faithful in promising to keep his children in persecution as he was in the day of the Church of Philadelphia. But it can't mean, the hour of trial can't mean that. Because it says, if you look at verse 10, because you've kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So this hour of trial isn't something just for Christians. It's something that's going to come all over the world. Right? Now, there are some very good Christians who will interpret this. Ah, they will say, it must be the future tribulation, a time of great trial across the whole earth. Whenever I hear the word tribulation, I uh, always remember an elderly pastor trying to encourage me, but he was actually doing the opposite as I was entering the ministry. He said to me, brother, I wouldn't want to be going into the ministry today. The great tribulation is already upon us. You're not going to see any blessing. Well, well, I don't think he was right. (laughs) And before Jesus Christ comes, will he find faith on the earth? We are told that there will be a period of tribulation. But it can't mean that because that's yet to come. And Jesus is promising here a particular church at a particular place 2,000 years ago that when the hour of trial is going to come upon them, he's going to keep them. And of course, the same promise is as true for us. So it can't be a future tribulation only. So it can't be persecution because that only affects Christians. It can't be the great tribulation which is to come in the future. What does it refer to then? There are times of worldwide upheaval, a time of trial. Uh, I referred this morning to the passage where the disciples boasted about the temple. They said to Jesus, look at this wonderful building. And Jesus prophesied, didn't he, that that temple would come tumbling down. But in that same prophecy, which he was prophesying concerning the destruction of the temple, which happened in AD 70, he also prophesied about the time between his first and second coming. So we call this the last days. And during this time, let me read from Matthew 24, ye shall hear of wars. These are things that change uh, the nations, times of upheaval. You shall hear of wars. Think of the two world wars. Things were completely different afterwards, weren't they? And rumors of wars. See that he be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. For nation shall rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famine, and pestilences. Covid is a pestilence. And earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. But he that shall endure, that's the promise here, I will keep you. I will enable you to keep on. In the hour of trial, he that will endure to the end, the same shall be saved. So this day of trial isn't a specific wave of persecution which will come. It's not the great tribulation which will come. It's 
the wave of upheaval that often happens in the last days. Uh, I don't know if you view COVID in this light. It certainly has been a time of trial, hasn't it? Uh, It says uh, to test those who dwell on the earth, to test the churches. A friend of mine, uh, we were talking the other day, and he is saying this horrible uh, virus is going uh, to prove which uh, Christians are real Christians and which ones are just uh, Christians in name only. Uh, You can think of other times of upheaval. Uh, Thank God we haven't suffered in this country a war in our lifetime. But uh, the First World War, it emptied a number of the chapels. Times of trial, times of worldwide upheaval. And in the last days, there will always be such times. And taking Jesus's prophesying uh, from Matthew 24, I think these waves of trials intensify as the second coming gets nearer. But what a wonderful promise. Jesus says, I'll keep you. I'll keep you. If you are faithful to me, I will be faithful to you. That's what he's saying. What do you make of this? It was a faithful saying in the early church. It was a hymn. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, it doesn't make sense then. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Are you holding on to this promise? I do believe that we will come out of this COVID. But do you believe that our saviour is a sovereign protector and he will keep you personally, he will keep us as a church, he will keep his people in our land if we cling on to him. And yet, this I think is the key, our clinging on to him is not in our own strength. We cling on to him because he's holding on to us. Mr. Hyam used to put it, we are willing cooperators with his spirits. It's a big thing, isn't it, to remain faithful. I, <laughs> I don't know how we are still here. You know, we're still here. Think of the people that were saved the same time as you. Maybe it was decades ago, maybe a few years ago. If it was decades ago, maybe a number of those people are no longer walking with the Lord. But you're still standing. Why is that? It's not because you've got some sticking power. It's because of the sticking power of the grace of Jesus Christ. I will keep. And why have those people gone away from the Lord? We don't know their hearts. We don't know if he will bring them back. 
but the reason is often because they are no longer relying on him. My friend, do you feel this evening, uh, Tony mentioned the state of our society and the way the culture is going in a direction that's completely the opposite of our Judeo-Christian culture. Don't you feel powerless in the light of such society? May our powerlessness drive us to the all-powerful one who is able. Uh, let me quote the hymn we sang. I love this hymn. Uh, whenever I sing the hymn, I think of the old Ready Breck adverts. Do you remember that the boy before going out to school on a cold winter's morning having Ready Breck for breakfast? It's like porridge. I used to have Ready Breck. And the adverts would show this halo of protection around the boy. So as he was walking to school, it didn't matter how rough the elements were. He was protected. He'd had his ready break. Well, as we Christians walk through this world, as we walk through good times, as we walk through bad times, the day of trial, it doesn't matter if we have Jesus Christ with us, a sovereign protector I have. Nobody can see him. He's unseen, yet forever at hand. He's the inspirer and hearer of prayer. It doesn't matter where I am. I don't have to be in the church. I can call on him wherever I am. He's only a prayer away. I know it's a cliche, but it's true. The shepherd and guardian of thine. My all to thy covenant care. I sleeping and waking resign. That's the key to the promise. If we are depending on him, if we are faithful to him, he will not let you down. He will remain faithful. If thou art my shield and my sun, the night is no darkness to me. And fast as my moments roll on, they bring me but nearer to thee. O oh Lord, help me to day by day cling on to you and to know your protection upon me. Now, notice, Jesus doesn't promise here to remove his people from the day of trial. He promises to enable them in the trial. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you in the hour of trial. A better translation. Have you been to Turkey? That's where the churches were in Revelation 2 and 3. Asia Minor, as it was called. Have you been there? Very few churches. Some missionaries were killed in Turkey a few years ago. It's a very dark place spiritually. All of the seven churches disappeared apart from Philadelphia. Philadelphia remained. Let, let me read what uh, one of the commentators says. It turns out that the city of Philadelphia was never destroyed, surviving repeated invasions until it did fall. It fell to Muslim conquerors many centuries later. Yet even then, and this is the amazing thing, the city had fallen, but even then the Christian community endured. And in the modern Turkish city, I'm not going to pronounce this right now, <laughs> of Allah Seir, 
there remains a church descended from the original congregation, organized under their bishop, whose succession is traced back to the apostolic times. So that quote is saying there is a church in the city, uh, which is the equivalent of Philadelphia today, in Turkey, and that church can be traced all the way back to the church that Jesus was writing to here. How wonderful. No one would have thought that of the seven churches, it's this smallest, the poorest, the one that lacked influence and resources. That's the one that would be kept. And yet, it makes perfect sense, does it not? If Jesus promises to keep, because we are depending on him alone, then that is the blessed place to be. Uh, we've got, haven't we, in Welsh, the folk song sung by David Iwan, We're Still Here, in Yama Ohid. Uh, I'm uh, very inquisitive when I walk down Witchet Road to see the change in the cafes all the time. Is, isn't it fascinating to see cafes going up and then in exactly the same location, another cafe uh, turning up a few years later? We're still here. Who would have thought that Mass Grace next door would one day be no more? We're still here. Even our coffee shop is still here. If we're going to be still here in the future, what's the key to that? The key to that is not so much in terms of our strength, in terms of our size, in terms of our resources, in terms of our influence. Oh no, the key to that is in the Christ of Philadelphia, the Christ who promises to keep those who keep close to him, for him to fulfill his promise with us as we remain faithful. I find as a pastor, the hardest thing to do is to stay faithful. We're still here. Praise God. So that's the first promise. I've got to hurry because we need to get to the communion. So he promises to keep. So next time somebody asks you, how are you keeping? How are you keeping? You correct them and tell them, being kept. Being kept, thank you. Being kept. The second promise there's a promise here of stability. Uh, look at uh, the reference to the pillar. Uh, where do we have the pillar? Uh, verse 12. Uh, we've already dealt with some of these verses in previous studies. Verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. What's this? The pillar of the temple... Uh, there'd be several pillars. They would be holding the temple up. Uh, the pillars are key in the building. And in uh, the New Testament, there are three leaders that are described as the pillars of the early church. Do you know who they are? James, Peter, and John. They were solid, stable Christians. <laughs> Don't you want to be such? to be a pillar, to be stable. Permanence. 
It's very interesting that Jesus uses this metaphor in Philadelphia. Do you know what Philadelphia was renowned for? The opposite of stability. It was renowned for its earthquakes. Uh, And so even the people reading this letter uh, would have appreciated Jesus saying, you are going to be solid. Uh, The reference, incidentally, uh, to he shall go out no more is people having uh, to leave uh, the city uh, because their homes were devastated by earthquakes and having to go out and live in the countryside in temporary dwellings. So Jesus is saying, if you remain faithful to me, I will make sure that you are stable in spite of all the shakings that will be happening around you in the hour of trial. Uh, The earth is being shaken. The church is being shaken. It doesn't matter, he says. My church is earthquake-proof. The church may shake like some of these skyscrapers shake, but they've been built to be earthquake-proof. And you won't have to go out. You won't have to build another building, a temporary abode in the countryside. I will make you a pillar. I'm glad of that. Because my heart often shakes. And I'm sure your heart shakes as well. But looking to Jesus Christ, we can be stabilized and we can become pillars. Oh my, doesn't the church of Christ need pillars today? Pillars. Our former trainee pastor, uh, one of his interests, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, one of his interests, well, before getting married, I don't know if he still does it, On his day off, he would go to a cathedral city uh, to visit one of our glorious cathedrals. I even bumped into him once in Gloucester outside the cathedral. Uh, Have you seen some of the pillars inside these cathedrals? Now, our pillars are all right, aren't they? But they're a a bit plain in comparison (laughs) to the beautiful pillars in our cathedral. And Jesus Christ says, I will make you beautiful as a pillar in the house of God. Look at the way he puts it. Uh, He who overcomes, verse 12, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, we've got something mentioned there. Uh, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads in the midst of the tribulation, the attacks. Uh, God's people are protected because they've got a name engraved on their foreheads. Don't think of that in a literal sense. Think of it as we are considering it here, as a metaphor. And then in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, you've got similar language being used there. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. The stamp. Uh, the seal of ownership. That's what a name means. Uh, When I buy a book and when I've read a book, I put my name on the book uh, just to prove that that's my book. If you lend me a book, I won't put my name on it, I promise, because it's not mine. When I have a book and it is mine, I put my name on it as a seal of ownership. And Jesus Christ is saying, look at these Christians, they're nobodies in the church in Philadelphia. They're just 
ordinary people. They're just poor people. They're just uh, people without influence in society. It's the Jewish synagogue which contains the great and the good. And yet these people are the ones that have my name on them. These are the citizens of the real heavenly Jerusalem. These are the people who have a beauty which is not their own, but it's my reflection which is showing upon them. Don't you find that thrilling, my friends? There is the name of Jesus Christ upon each one of his children. When you go to university, when you meet other Christians, sometimes you don't have to even be told that they're Christians. You can sense that there's something of Christ about the person. There's a beauty, isn't there, in the pillars, in the house of God. And often you don't equate beauty with stability. You equate stability sometimes with function and even plainness. But when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, the most stable Christians are the most beautiful Christians because it both arises from Jesus Christ. Uh, Douglas Kelly, if you concentrate on Jesus, that's what I've been burdened with these last few days, coming back to us. I said it in the week of prayer. We've been looking too much at one another. There's nothing wrong in looking at one another. Uh, but, my friends, we don't come here to look at one another, do we? We want to see one another. It's good to catch up with one another after the summer holidays. But we want to look to Jesus, don't we? Don't you, you Christian friend, want to have your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ? This is how Kelly put it. If you concentrate on Jesus and give your life to him, uh, we don't have to become missionaries or ministers. Give your life to him where he's put you. I will make you one day a pillar in the house of God. Think of some of the Christians we've been privileged to have in our church. They've never been ministers. They've never been elders or deacons in the church. Think of Christian ladies. Think of Christian men. Think of Christian young people. They, they just were pillars in this place because they walked with Jesus Christ as their saviour. You will be more beautiful than any columns in the most beautiful cathedrals of Europe. People will be coming to the church in Philadelphia. People will be coming to the church at Heath, not because they see some physical beauty, but because they see in the people there a living, Christ-like beauty, a spiritual beauty, a beauty that attracts, a beauty that draws people to Christianity. Some lady was converted under the preaching of George Whitfield, the most powerful of preachers. And somebody asked her, what was it that Whitfield said that was used to bring you to the Lord? And she said, it wasn't anything that he said. I just saw in his demeanor that I said to myself, if I'm going to have a religion, it's got to be the religion of Mr. Whitfield. Something of the beauty of Christ. The stability. Don't we need stable people in society today? People whose bond is their word. People, people you can trust. People who love you. People who draw you to Jesus Christ. There was um, a lady in Westminster Chapel, um, Elizabeth Braun, I think some of you may have known her. Uh, she was burdened to reach the rough children in London. And uh, she had, I think, uh, a home for them. And one of them, uh, she would take them sometimes to John and Mary's in uh, uh, Mid Wales, to the farm there, uh, on holidays. And one of uh, these children, he ran away from Borstal. Uh, and do you know where he ran away to? He ran away to Llanamawdwy. 
because he sensed there the love of Jesus Christ and the safety, the stability which he lacked in Borstal. Uh, well, I'm going on a bit here, but what a promise. A promise of endurance in the hour of trial, a promise of stability when everything else is shaking and giving way. Uh, I want to just give a better translation. Verse 10, I will keep you. I will keep you. That's not me. That's not me. <laughs> That's Jesus Christ saying, I will keep you. Uh, the, the better translation is, I will keep you right through. I will keep you to the very end. Isn't that good? And to make it even more encouraging, he says, it's all right, I am coming soon. Verse 11, behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. It doesn't matter how little it may be. Hold on to it so that no one may take your crown. So here I am. I'm uh, like the church in Philadelphia. I'm me. I'm little ordinary me. I'm not a special Christian, but I'm Christ's. And I want to be faithful to him. I want these promises to come true in my life. So what do I do? I simply trust him and I walk with him. And as William Carey said, I plod with him. I don't run as fast as some may do. I just go day by day with him. I read his word. I can't cope sometimes with reading large chunks of the word. But I just feed on the scriptures I talk to him in prayer. Sometimes I haven't got the time to spend long hours in prayer. I just talk to him as I live in this veil of tears. And then he hasn't just saved me to be a lone ranger. He's put me in a family. That's what the church is. And even in lockdown, we've still been able to see one another and to have fellowship with one another. And I interact with my brothers and sisters so that I... I'm together enduring. And I come to church because here he's given me means to strengthen me. It's the same thing as my personal means of grace. It's the word, but the word is now being preached. And we sing his praises together. Sometimes you sing on your own. There's nothing wrong with that. But we sing when we come together and we pray. And oh, my friends... There's nothing special, there's nothing spectacular, but that's what the church in Philadelphia was doing. Day by day, remaining faithful. There's something to be said about being faithful, being faithful. You may not feel you have much to contribute in the church, but my friend, you're making the greatest contribution if you're still faithful. If you're still faithful. I came across this quotation, I'm coming soon, Jesus is saying. Isn't that encouraging? He's coming to get us. Uh, this, this is how uh, one person put it. It's one of the old commentators. Um, this is the struggling church and waiting believers, uh, some of all the promises. He, he comes, he comes. He comes in the promptings of the Spirit. Sometimes he prompts us. He comes to us. He comes to us when we're delivered. Sometimes we're delivered, aren't we? By providence. He comes to us. Uh, when he blesses his word, he, he comes to us when he'll call us home, when we die. 
But then there is a bigger coming ahead of us. Uh, These are all foretastes of the triumph at his second visible appearing. This is the assurance that soon the struggle will be over, the battle will be fought, the victory won, that soon not only shall temptation cease to harass us and indwelling sin to pollute and hell to assault and the purified spirits soon, soon will be with the spirits of the just made perfect and that death itself, the last enemy, shall be destroyed soon, and that the body itself will be raised and fashioned like unto Christ's glorious body soon, and the whole perfected church be admitted to the full glories of the resurrection states and the eternal kingdom soon. It's not long, my friends. I'm the other side of 50. Where have the years gone? Where have the years gone? Uh, talk to some of the older elders, they will say it goes by even faster, even faster after uh, 50. We're not here for long. Soon, soon, Jesus will come and bring us home. Once you moved by the news item uh, of uh, people being rescued from Afghanistan, uh, people uh, being, uh, as it were, taken home, taken home, home uh, from being expats, from living in a foreign country, from living in enemy territory, finally coming home. And that's what will happen to us when one day Jesus will come back. We'll be going home. I don't know if Jesus is going to come in his spirits before that. I don't know if there's going to be another revival in our country. But this I do know. When he comes, we'll have something better than revival. We'll have him physically, physically with us forever and ever. Well, aren't you glad this evening that in our church we have the same promises? Jesus can keep you, keep you, whatever may happen, and Jesus can make you stable. And if you've got those two things not in your own strength, but as you cooperate with Christ, as you feed on his word, as you talk to him, as you fellowship with his people, then, my friends, without you realizing it, the atmosphere becomes a Philadelphia. It becomes a city of brotherly love. Please please forgive me, I cannot leave the letter to the church in Philadelphia uh, without mentioning Rocky, you know, Rocky Balboa, I can't, I can't leave without mentioning uh, that fighter, that boxer that lived in another Philadelphia in North America. And he had an impossible task. Like we have to face the world, the flesh and the devil, Rocky had to face the world champion, Apollo Creed. And Rocky was asked, how are you going to beat him? How are you going to beat him? And Rocky said, there's no way I can beat Apollo Creed. I just want to go the distance. I just want to go the distance. And all Rocky did in order to win was survive the full 15 rounds without getting knocked out. Now, our battle is not with one another, right? Please don't take this illustration the wrong way. We wrestle not against French blood, but against principalities and powers and darkness in high places. That's why the culture is going the way it is.
And we can't beat it. We can't. But what we can do is stand in the armour of God and being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And what can we do? And having done all, no matter what may be happening, still stand, still stand. And that, my friends, is our victory. To be still here, to be still faithful, to be still standing when everything else is shaking because we are standing on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Well, uh, forgive me for going on a bit there, but we just needed to uh, wind down in looking at the church in Philadelphia. Let's now sing, fight the good fights with all thy might. This, this is what uh, we are doing, fighting this spiritual uh, fight. Uh, and I know we know this hymn very well, and it, it is a lovely hymn. Fight the good fight with all thy might.
We are brothers and sisters, so let us all stand up and we'll pray together the grace, which is a statement of our solidarity in the gospel. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.